With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast. I am Michael Citro from the Mainland, the managing editor. I am joined this week by uh, a couple of our writers, Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison, and of course, they've been with me many, many times before. This is uh, podcast episode 46, and uh, guys, um, first of all, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm good tonight, but how was I over the weekend? Uh, a little <laughs> upset, but we'll talk about that later, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrew, you okay? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm ready to get down to this weekend of so much soccer, it's unbelievable. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's there's a lot of soccer <laughs> this weekend for Orlando City fans. Uh, Orlando City B on Friday, the Pride on Saturday, Orlando City's MLS team on Sunday, and the OCB back in action on Monday. So four games in four days uh, for the club as a whole. Um, it's a little bit of a sad day uh, as we record this for uh, those of us who who frequently wear purple because uh, Prince passed away today, and uh, you know of course he is. Uh, Best known for Purple Rain, obviously. Wore purple quite often. And, um, you know, it's it, 2016 has been pretty brutal for uh, for artists and, and actors uh, passing away. So I'm just really excited to get to 2017 at this point. I just hope that everybody goes into stasis and uh, just, you know, stays stays healthy for the rest of this, uh, this year. But, um, guys, we got to do it. We have to talk about Orlando City versus New England Revolution. Um a game that Orlando City started very, very brightly. Uh, Breck Shea over the top with a long ball just 15 seconds into uh, Julio Bautista making his first uh, start for Orlando City, and he gets into the box, gets stepped on, his heels stepped on from behind, and uh, draws a penalty. Kaká steps up and slots it coolly home right down the middle, uh, which would have really made him look silly if Bobby Shuttleworth hadn't moved. But <laughs> it went in the, in the net. It gave the team a 1-0 lead. And, uh, and then they promptly didn't play very well for the first half. And uh, toward the end of the first half, finally, New England broke through um, on a corner kick where I, I honestly didn't feel that the ball went off of anybody but Diego Fagundes. Um, and I looked around the box, and everybody was like, that's, that's a corner kick? <laughs> and everybody was kind of surprised by that. And, of course, the ball came in, and... Um, I have to give uh, hats off to Teal Bunbury. Really nice two-handed shove on Tommy Redding to free himself up with some space. And uh, most of the time, that's a foul. But uh, we have pro refs, so not in this game. <laughs> it, it was not a foul. Instead, it was a New England tying goal. Wait, that wasn't uh, a foul? <laughs> it was not called. It was not called a foul. So apparently, it wasn't a foul. Uh, but we'll get more <laughs> into, into that a little bit. Um Second half, uh, Orlando City and New England. Orlando City got back on the front foot in the second half. Some uh, some early second half substitutions, unlike the week before against Philadelphia. Um, Adrian Heath brought on Kyle Laren 
And uh, also he brought on Kevin Molino, who surprisingly didn't start. And uh, it was an interesting lineup, guys, and, and, a, and a lineup uh, that I think possibly was uh, may turn out to be the current best offensive lineup. Uh, Batista moved back to the central attacking midfield, basically playing just behind Laren. Kaká swung out to the left side, Molino played on the right. And from that point on, the attack was on for Orlando City. I mean, uh, Kaká was bringing guys in. He was bringing Breck Shea into the play for the first time all day. Um, you, you saw a really good... Uh, interaction between Molino and Batista and Laren. I, I just thought that the, the offense flowed very well. Shuttleworth made some great saves down the stretch. And then finally, in the 92nd minute, Kevin Molino uh, scores a goal. Uh, may have been a handball there, obviously not called. And it's 2-1 Orlando City, two minutes into three minutes of stoppage time. And, uh, you know, then the uh, then the thing happened. <laughs> uh, New England comes down the other way. Uh, about I think it was about four or five seconds after that third minute of stoppage time, uh, Lee Wynn uh, curls the ball into the box that hits uh, Servando Carrasco right in the Orlando City Lion badge. And, of course, that's always, as always, that's a handball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so free kick given, right? That's that's what was the signal was, free kick outside the box, even though Carrasco was inside the I box. I will agree with you that free kick was given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, after a couple of minutes of deliberation, it was a penalty. And uh, lo and behold, in the sixth minute of three minutes of stoppage time, uh, Lee Wynn stepped up and hit the penalty to tie the match at 2-2 and send everybody home uh, pretty damn ticked off. Um, There were things thrown, which we don't condone. We do understand it, but we don't condone it. Um, You know, if you have an urge to throw something on the pitch, don't. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right, so guys, overall thoughts of the match. We'll start with you, Daniel. Um, you know, anything to say about all the stuff that I just said? We'll get in the officiating in a bit, but, um, you know, just the game as a whole. Well, uh, there's a lot to say uh, about everything that you just said, I'll be honest. But uh, <laughs> I thought Julio Baptista looked looked very, very good, a, a lot better than I thought he was going to be his first time really getting getting the start. Um, Mm -hmm. He looked strong. He looked like he was in shape, uh, which we could all tell from his physicality. Um, And then when he dropped back in the midfield, uh, he actually helped push the attack forward. So I think that 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 speaks well for the future, just like you you talked to the formation. Um, Mm -hmm. Kevin Molino looked great coming off the bench. I mean, he's he he played very, very good. uh, And he was active after he came off off that bench. But uh, up until that point, what upset me was that that time of about probably 45 to 50 minutes. Uh, after we scored that goal, that New England was just uh, jamming everything down our throat. I mean, we mm-hmm. we didn't we weren't in the match. I don't know w- what the team was necessarily doing. It didn't look like we were dropping back. It was just seemed like every time we got the ball, we immediately gave it back on a bad pass or a bad decision or a bad touch. Um, and it took those subs coming in to actually get us going back into the game again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adrian Heath said. Um after the match that can, it, 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 you couldn't tell from inside the press box, but Adrian said that the, you know, the conditions were bad on the field. Um, and then it kind of reflected in the half that each team had. Well, new England uh, had to play with that too. And they played a much better right. first half than we did. Yeah. 
yes, but what I'm saying is that the direction, I guess the direction of the wind mattered because the one team struggled in the first half and the other team didn't play as well in the second half is what I guess his point was, although he didn't use it as, a, as an excuse. He said it had to be better. And, you know, certainly you need to adjust to that stuff. And if the if you can't play long balls or if you can't play, you know, long passes, then you have to, you know, be aware of that and play the ball shorter. And, you know, we were, we were talking in the press box about how, the passes were not crisp and everybody was turning the ball over. And then finally, I think it was in, I want it's just after halftime. I think Kaka made a pass that was straight to a defender and Simon Vaness from MLS soccer.com turned to me and goes, there's the whole set. We've got Kaka now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so every, like literally every player on the field made, made some bad passes. Um, uh, Andrew, your thoughts overall. And, and what did you think of the first, uh, we've seen of Kevin Alston? Um, my thoughts overall were just, I felt like it was almost a continuation of the flatness from the Philadelphia game. We just didn't seem to have any shape. And I will definitely agree with Daniel, you know, like people just looked lost and okay, you can blame it on the wind, but we had a very strong defensive midfield and we should have been able to play the ball up through the middle without needing to worry about the wind or anything else like that. We have the ability and the talent on this field, supposedly, to be able to deal with that. And I just didn't really see it. Um, overall, I think it was just a disappointing performance. And I, I, if we hadn't had that goal, like right off the gate, I think this could have been a much worse scoreline because um, we just wouldn't have had that confidence to think that we could have won this game um, after those mm-hmm. first 45 minutes. Um, in regards to Alston, I, you know, I don't want to bash him too much. I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, as I think we talked about when we had him on, his crossing sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired, um, mm-hmm. and we did see that. Um, but I think almost certainly an improvement over Ramos until he gets his um, his temper or his uh, <laughs> attitude in check. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough uh, opening to the season for Rafael Ramos, and I thought that Alston played pretty well up the right side. I mean, yeah, his he, he was as advertised. He was... You know, his crosses leave a little bit to be desired. He occasionally will throw, you know, throw forward a, an errant pass. Um, uh, for the most part, he'll and he still sometimes gets sucked inside a little too far inside. But I thought overall he was better than what we've been seeing from Ramos in recent weeks. And um, he darn near scorched his old team with a screamer from uh, from the right side where he cut in and had a shot just over the bar. It was uh, that would have made him a hero. That was certainly a hero ball attempt right there from. From Austin, but with, um, with Austin, I just want to say that it, with with the difference in Austin and Ramos, we're losing that overlapping edge and yeah. speed that Ramos brought. And now you're going to see, which it might not be a bad thing, but more of the attack moving down the left hand side, right down Breck Shea's side, getting him more involved. And I think that actually might end up being a good thing for Orlando City, moving him further up the pitch. Because last year, and even at the beginning of this year, a lot of the times it was Ramos on the overlap, and now we'll just see more of Shea on the overlap. Well, we de- definitely didn't see that in the first half. It wasn't until Kaká came on that he started really to get forward. And and I will say this, uh, maybe you haven't seen it yet, uh, Daniel, but Alston's damn fast. He's, like, really fast. So I don't think you lose anything in terms of speed um, from Ramos to Alston. You may actually gain speed there. Uh, but it's his first game with his new team, and, and you know he's going to have to to sort of learn everybody's tendencies. I, I thought he, that he put in a pretty pretty solid shift overall. Um, all right, let's get into the officiating. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. Um, 
here's my perspective. We're hearing a lot of, oh, okay, it should have been a 1-1 one, one draw because they missed a call at one end and they made a call at the other end uh, that they shouldn't have made. My thought on it is that where Toledo was standing, uh, it's very, very understand- understandable to say that he didn't see a handball on Molino. From where he was, he, there's no way he could have seen through coffee and and obviously in through Molino's body. Yep. So it would have been very, very difficult to call a handball in that situation. And so I I don't think that was bad officiating. It's just that you can't see everything. And I also don't think that the AR saw anything because he would have been looking through even more bodies from his angle. And I know this because I sit fairly close to right above where he's standing when the ball is in the attacking third in that end. So I had trouble seeing it. I didn't see it live. And I, you know, I have the benefit of altitude in addition to coming at it from about the same angle. Mm-hmm. On the other end, I don't know what planet you have to be on or from to say that's a handball because it, it clearly Carrasco had his arm behind him intentionally to keep it out of the way, and the ball hit right off the crest of his of his uh, shirt. Clearly, that so, wasn't clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, what do you make of the of the officiating down the stretch there? Well, I mean, there's just no word for it other than terrible, is there? I mean, it was just, okay, you, you certainly got, you're going to miss things in a game. You can't expect one guy to catch everything, but that's why he has assistant referees. You're not right. always going to have the best positioning, but that's just the game. I, I just, you know, does Molino bounce it off his arm? Could be, but in the fast pace of the game, you're probably going to go, usually they like to say with the benefit of the attacker and just hope for the best. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's offside, then usually the defender gets the uh, the benefit. Um, right. But it just, you couldn't, you wouldn't see that. His positioning was, you can't say his positioning was wrong. Just lay out of the bodies. He's going to miss it every time. In yeah. regards to the Carrasco free kick, penalty kick, disgrace, I'm going to call it. Um, Usually they base that on the movement of the person's of the offending arm. The, the his basic movement is putting it behind him. How you can mm-hmm. then say that that's an intentional handball um, is beyond ridiculous because you can't. There's no in, the intentional part of it is not there. He's turned away from it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I I still personally think that the the switch to the PK was more on the fourth official than on Toledo himself. I think he was mm-hmm. listening to a lot and he was catching a lot from the sidelines. Um, and he was also the guy who had refereed the uh, USL game for Orlando City and sent two people off the night before. So, you know, it, it's <laughs> got to be where it is. But I, I, you just, there's no word for other than atrocious officiating. Yeah, and I, you know, I, you could tell on the on the television monitors, and we don't have the benefit of, of maybe it's not a benefit, but we don't have the benefit of hearing the the broadcast. We just see it, and it's a couple of seconds behind, um, you know, live action, which is a little jarring. So you don't really look up too often, except for when you need to see that replay. But I, you could tell that he had, you know, his hand on his ear. And he was certainly trying to to hear somebody telling him, you know, giving him some direction on 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 what should happen following that call. And you know, once you've made that call, that it's a handball, you have to get the location right. And so he did the right thing by you know consulting with his his uh, coworkers there and, and making sure that the you know the call was the right call for being the wrong call, if, if that makes sense, um, as right as possible. It's like, well, I've, I've made, I've made a mess of this. And of course he didn't know that at the time he thought it was a handball. Um, 
and how does he think that's a handball? I mean, I he, he's know. moving his arm backwards. I can understand, like, if his arm is out to the side and it just deflects off, then yeah, you, you, mm. 99.9% of the time that's going to be called a penalty. The, the fact mm. of the matter is Carrasco deliberately turns away. He's a seasoned defensive midfielder who's playing on the top of the box all the time. With his positioning, this time he doesn't have the the body's in the way. He can clearly see it. I just, yeah. I almost want to say that it was a makeup call that the AR, the fourth official was giving him, saying, you know, you can call that as a PK. I, I don't know. You, you can't do too much, but it was Toledo just was staring right at, at his it. shoulder. Like, yep. he had good, yeah, he had very good positioning. Right at it. I, I'm, I'm not going to harp on this too long because. There were bad calls on both sides, and we've talked about those. Uh, I mean, there was there was uh, our side again, the push in the back. There was the Kevin Molino issue with the, that could have been a handball, and it does hit Kevin Molino's arm. Uh, but it was it was a hard a hard thing to see. Uh, a lot of a lot of bodies in there. There was Baptista at the beginning of the match as well, which um, I would have never called. I mean, that's a penalty for me, a hundred percent. But I can mm-hmm. see where our conversation's at. Um, this game, just overall, whenever you show. Uh, a, a class of refs of what not to do. This is the game that you would, that you would show them. This is the game that you would point out and say, listen, as a referee, your, your job is to allow the players to play the game. Your job is to keep it in control, to keep it safe, uh, and to make sure that if there's any dangerous play that you call that dangerous play. This is not what this referee did. This referee made a stamp on the game. This should be called Toledo versus Orlando and New England is what it should be. And that's upsetting. Uh, and did he did he mouth that he made a mistake a few times afterwards? Yes, he did. We can see that as well. But um, these type of these type of games happen. And it just these type of matches happen. It's just bad also that this happened after another unfortunate event uh, at Philadelphia uh, at the Union. Uh, where another goal was was given when it should not have been allowed. Um, so uh, has Orlando been hit pretty hard? Uh, yes, and hopefully, you know, the, the footballing gods make that up for us uh, later in the season. Well, they have a lot to make up for uh, <laughs> when you're talking about a, a, waved, a, waved off goal, a waved off goal against uh, RSL, a, a non-penalty call in against Chicago, a goal that shouldn't have counted against Philadelphia, and then, of course, the atrocity against New England on Sunday. Um, I, I will say this. Adrian Heath said he thought it was a makeup call, but how does Toledo know he has anything to make up if he didn't see a handball? I, I just don't well I just don't believe that I don't know I'm this is not a question that I'm asking you because we gotta move on. I'm sorry, but we have a we have a very important guest that we have to move on. But I will say this I don't believe in makeup calls in soccer because I don't believe that human beings say I made a mistake, so I obviously have to make another horrible decision just so I can even it out. I think you you have to live with the mistakes you make if you're in that position. That uh, you know, I've only done you know some umpiring at little league games, so I don't have like this world of experience. But I know that if I if I thought that I missed a call or made a mistake, I didn't intentionally screw the other team just to make up for it. I mean, it's you just move on and try to do the best you can moving forward. And I don't think that Toledo knew he made a mistake. I know that. New England players said that he made a mistake, but what are you going to do? Believe one team? Uh, you know, three guys on one team run at you? You go, oh, well, they said it was a handball. I better call it a handball. If his AR saw it, he should have put up his damn flag. So, I, I mean, I, I guess we'll move on. And 
Just give me your man of the match before I lose my mind. Andrew, we'll start with you. Who's your man of the match? <sighs> this is a tough one because I think for a lot of reasons that we kind of just covered, but <laughs> I'm actually going to go with Darwin Soren. I think he was partnered with Nocherino, who was not playing the game. He was doing his own thing for 90 minutes. Um, the fact of the matter is he didn't really give up anything. He barely conceded any fouls. He really kind of stopped a lot of the New England attack in that first 40 minutes after the goal. Um, and I'm going to give him my vote to him. Okay, interesting. I would have... I. I definitely thought that he gave up the ball a lot more than he usually does, Darwin Seren, but he played pretty well defensively. Uh, Daniel, you're a man of the match. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the the sub Molino in this one. I thought that the game just changed on its head whenever those subs came in, Uh, and I don't know if it was the formation uh, necessarily changed or players in different positions, but Molino was able to make a mark whenever he came in and really change the conversation to where it looked like New England was inevitable to win the game uh, to where Orlando could actually come away with points. Yeah, Molino and Laren uh, checking in definitely changed the the whole uh, pulse of the game for me. Um, it, you know, moving Batista to, to center. I, I think Kaká plays best on the left, no matter how often Heath wants to play him in the middle. I think his best position is left attacking midfield. Um, we saw that. He brought Breck Shea into the play. He uh, was able to get forward and and make moves and get to the end line and cut dangerous balls back into the box he he tried to toe poke shuttleworth for from a tough angle where i thought maybe he he had a chance to slot the ball across for an easier goal but uh um you know i'll never complain when kaka takes shots so um i guess what i'm saying is despite all of that i'm still going to go with a different pick for man of the match i'm going to go with a guy who i thought played a brilliant first half and that's breck shea Hmm. and i i think he played he had some some tough minutes in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the second half, but then he started to get better again once the, uh, the the changes were made. But I thought Shea played great defense. He blocked a number of crosses, and you know he also uh, sent that long ball forward in a you know just a beautiful long ball to Batista that started the started the uh, you know the scoring uh, ended up with the the penalty. And I thought that Shea. And I even said in my takeaways that uh, I think Shea is really starting to learn the de- the defensive end of. Uh, of soccer, he's playing left back a lot better than he was, and he didn't have one of those, um, you know, horror tackles, you know, those <laughs> those minutes. He didn't have one of those moments where he lost his mind and, and made a, a horrendous tackle. So, uh, I'll give it to Shea. So this week we all have different ones, uh, whereas we normally, uh, or the last few weeks we've always had the same same guy. So um, anyway, two two draw. We move on and we'll play the Red Bulls this weekend. Um. Before we get to the pride, actually, before we even get to anything else, we're going to talk about um, how little fun MLS is. Uh, MLS came out today and uh, suspended Antonio Nocherino for a game uh, for entering the pitch. Um, Why did he enter the pitch, you ask? Well, he came about three or four yards onto the pitch to give Kevin Molino a big hug after the goal in the 92nd minute. And you're not allowed to do that. And uh, so he's suspended and fined an undisclosed amount. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. Um, you know, first we had Ben Olsen getting suspended for going on the on the pitch two yards to retrieve an errant second ball. And now we've got uh, Nocherino suspended for being happy, essentially. Um, <laughs> and, and I should add that Aurelian Collin was very, very close to that sideline as well uh, on that goal. So uh, what are your thoughts on the suspension? And is MLS taking this a little too serious with the letter of the law versus spirit of the law here? 
You know, I would say they are, but I think the one thing that completely sucked the fun out of sport, or at least soccer in general, was when they started booking people for taking their shirts off during goal celebrations. Mm -hmm. This is just a natural extension of that. Um, You know, you know the rules. He knows the rules. It's not just an MLS rule. It's it's in league worldwide rule. Um, I, I'm not going to, I'm actually for the one time, not going to blame MLS for this. This is just players realizing that they should know better. And you know what? People should celebrate more off the pitch rather than running towards the bench. Otherwise, you mm-hmm. know, next time we'll have half our team get suspended. If it's, I mean, and the thing is, it wasn't even a game winner. So it's kind yeah, of, well, it should have been, <laughs> it's kind of a wasted <laughs> suspension, but you know what? We might actually win since he started the last two and we haven't been close. You know, we might actually win this time. All right. So Andrew says that he sides with MLS in the suspension. Daniel, should this just be a yellow card? I mean, come on. Uh, I, I think the rule should change to a yellow card. I don't, I don't, the suspension is a, a little wary for me because you want to suspend for dangerous play, not for a happy antic of, Hey, you scored a goal. Let me go give him a hug. Uh, just give out a yellow card. I mean, but then again, you know, that rule might have already changed and we wouldn't know because it's MLS. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, from my perspective, it's like if you want to punish the guy, a yellow card, I think, is is sufficient and uh, actually probably would have been the same anyway because he had a yellow card, I think, earlier in the game. So it would have been two yellows. Um, anyway, it, it's I understand why the rules there. You don't want somebody to come on and confront somebody. But this was clearly not that. Um, I mean, the video evidence speaks for itself. Anyway, we'll move on. It's MLS being stupid. This is like, you know, the celebrations in the NFL for touchdowns and them outlawing everything and and just not wanting you to have a good time. So, uh, you know, Don Garber can't stand to see anybody having fun. Uh, Guys, OCB is not very good. (laughs) Uh, Is that an understatement? Uh, that's just that's just my that's my non-expert assessment of uh, the USL side so far. Um, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. Uh, still winless. More red cards so far this year than goals scored. And Lewis Neal. Uh, huh? <laughs> and Lewis Neal has <laughs> is going to miss uh, Friday's game against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds for uh, a, picking up two yellows and basically he's had two confrontations already this season. Uh, Andrew, what's going on with Lewis Neal? I think uh, Andrew may have put himself on mute, but uh, <laughs> because he doesn't want to talk about OCB. Maybe. All right, Daniel, you can oh. answer. Uh, I feel like maybe he's changing professions. I mean, now that uh, he saw that, you know, the MMA's biggest name is retiring, or at least might be retiring, I think Lewis Neal might be trying to go for an MMA job. I have no idea. I yeah. can't These explain are talented what he's so. These are talented guys, Andrew. Um, why are they having such trouble getting going? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I think the biggest problem, and you don't want to say this, but they really don't have anybody with coaching experience. Yeah, that's true. You know, everybody yeah. is really just a previous player, and I think that that's starting to show a little bit. And I, I'm I'm also going to say there's a little bit of a negative with this whole up-down situation. Like, if you just want to assign somebody to USL, go ahead and do it. But I think you're getting some of that idea of the players being like, well, I play with, I train with the first team all week, and then I have to come and play with you guys. That's not the same. I shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. this. Is it beneath me? And you don't want to say that they've got that attitude, but realistically it's everybody for themselves right now. And that's really starting to 
I mean, that's why these results are what they are. But I think you have to potentially give it to the fact that there's just no coaching experience on this team. Well, that's a problem. And, you know, they finished the game the other night down to nine men. Uh, Tony Rocho was sent off erroneously, as it turns out. His red card was uh, rescinded. It would have been his second straight game that he played and got a red card in, or it actually was, but the red card has gone away. The USL has uh, looked at the play and said no no harm, no foul. So he is eligible to play against Pittsburgh. Lewis Neal is not. And uh, also, in addition, Orlando City sent Harrison Heath and Haji Berry down uh, to the OCB side for the uh, for the trip. So um, it will be interesting. Hopefully we see Harrison Heath get some minutes. And um, Pierre Da Silva will not be with the team as he's uh, with the U.S. U-17. So uh, one of the more you know dynamic players on OCB, not on this trip. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, you know, maybe that first win will have to wait until they get home again. Uh, although, you know, Harrisburg City is not a very good team, and they, you know, even up, up, um, you know, with a man advantage, they still were only able to squeak out a bare minimum win. So uh, maybe, maybe Orlando City can put it all together and get a win on the road here this weekend. Uh, and then the Pride, they're going to play the Dash and Carly Lloyd on Saturday night at the Citrus Bowl. And there's going to be a new NWSL attendance record, I think. Um, so they got their season underway Sunday night, very, very late, too late for most people. It started at 10 o'clock Eastern time. They were out at Portland against a very good Thorns team and scored the first goal of the game and actually played very, very well, had some chances on the counterattack and Jasmine Spencer was dangerous all night and, uh, really should have done better with a, um, a ball that, uh, Alex Morgan slotted for her. Uh, she was 1v1 against Michelle Betos. Uh, the keeper took a heavy touch and got in too close, too tight to the keeper and wasn't able to really get a shot off. Morgan had a chance from a little bit of a tough angle, and you're not going to beat a real good keeper from a from that kind of an angle very often, and she didn't beat her. So, um, you know, it was uh, it was one nothing, and, uh, you know, nice play by Portland to tie the score before halftime, and then uh, Lindsey Horan got a goal, uh, you know, in the, the lo- later stages of the second half and um, the pride not able to to mount the uh, the tying goal and so they their first game is a 2-1 loss uh, Andrew we're going to talk to a very special guest about this game but uh, you know what are your overall thoughts in the first pride match I thought I, I thought it was a really great game um, and it makes me excited for them to come home and play uh, on Saturday against the Houston Dash I just thought mm-hmm. they looked like a team that had been playing for a little while together they they had a few mistakes but they looked very well put together they had been drilled they set out with a really solid game plan um and it was a really good performance against a team that is stacked in a lot of different positions they have a really solid crowd behind them um mm-hmm. i thought they gave a really good showing and i think they were unlucky to not get at least a point against the thorns that was a, it was a very entertaining game and uh uh, you know, Portland um, was a little out of sync, uh, but may have had a lot to do with Orlando Pride's back line. And they were uh, they were offside, I don't know, seemed like 152 times in that game. Um, Daniel, what, uh, who stood out for you in that, that uh, Pride opener? Uh, well, you already talked to Jasmine Spencer. I mean, I thought her speed and the ability to get forward, she looked, she looked really, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Our guest also stood out uh, <laughs> as well, but... The player that kind of changed the match a little bit in, or, uh, in Orlando's favor uh, for me was was Leanne Sanderson. Uh, I thought that when she came in, she was seeing space. 
that other mm-hmm. players were kind of missing out there in our midfield and in the attacking half. She was she was putting players into space and she was allowing for for Orlando at times who weren't necessarily holding on to the ball too much to hold on to the type of possession because they were able to link with her and then link up with the Fords. And I'm going to be excited to see her uh, hopefully start this weekend and see what see what Orlando can do with her with her remaining in attacking midfield role. Yeah, I was a little surprised that she didn't start the game, but maybe uh, Tom Sermani wanted to go with a little bit more defensive-oriented lineup um, because I, I thought that she'd be a dangerous player, and she was when she came on. Um, and, you know, being a former Thorns player, you know, a little bit of extra motivation there maybe. So uh, it would have been nice to have seen her start and seen what they could have done with her throughout the match. But, uh, you know, I think a good start for the Pride. But, um, you know, let's not ask me. Let's, let's talk to our expert about this, and uh, we'll bring in our special guest, All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, very special guest from the Orlando Pride. I'd like to welcome uh, left back Steph Catley. Steph, how are you doing tonight? Hi, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure, believe me. Uh, I just want to first of all ask you, right off the bat, you are the you are the history maker. You are the first goal scorer in Orlando Pride history. That's got to feel pretty darn good. Yeah, it's definitely something um, I never expected to be me, I guess. As a defender, you don't sort of think about those things. So um, someone asked me in a post-match interview and um, it, it sort of sunk in there that it would kind of always be that way and it's sort of embedded in history now. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, Steph, that's that's awesome that you're able to hold that mantle up as the, the first-time scorer. But take us through... Uh, that actual uh, moment in now Orlando Pride history and what you are trying to do. And uh, were you actually trying to sneak it by uh, and get it in the back of the net there, or were you trying to serve it up for somebody else? Um, well, actually, I've been working on um, free kicks a lot lately. Um, so I, I was speaking with Kaylin Kyle on the ball, and we were kind of discussing what kind of ball we'd put in. And she sort of said, you know, put it in between the keeper and the six-yard box. But as I sort of stepped back, it just looked like such a good angle for a left footer, and I just thought I'd, I'd have a go. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> she put it on frame. So many different things can happen in the box. So I thought I'd just have a shot and see what happened, and um, it worked out pretty well. Well, and, and also you did that in front of your previous team's crowd. Um, what was it like mm-hmm. You know, being that person, but also just playing in you know at your previous home for an NWSL. Yeah, um, a very very strange feeling, especially sort of flying in and um, being in Portland for a day or so before. Um, uh, I was obviously there for a couple of years, so it um, became pretty homey for me. So to be back was and be playing for a different team was a very strange situation. But um, the Portland fans are really great, and they're so. Um, they're such great fans for their team, and um, they always cheer so loudly, and are very, very respectful for the Thorns that were returning that had previously played there. So um, it's always just amazing to play in that kind of atmosphere. So it was, it was a great game. You know, Steph, this was obviously you guys have only been together just a matter of weeks, and and still, it, it looked like it was a pretty cohesive team, especially playing against a formidable opponent on the road. Um, if you were to put a percentage on it, on where you guys are now and a hundred percent being, you know, firing on all cylinders, where do you think you guys are right now after one game? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I think we, um, I 
think we honestly did better than we expected in the game and a lot of things sort of came together on game day that um, might not have been coming together as well uh, during the week and during um, preparations and training. So um, it was really nice that um, what we talked about really came into action, that we were going to go out there and give 100% and do everything we said we'd do. So, um, I mean, right now I think we probably have so far to go still and it's, it's pretty exciting that we could get... Um, get pretty close to beating one of the best teams in the competition in our first outing. Um, but so much to improve on. And, I mean, I'd say we'll probably at, like, um, I don't know, like 70% maybe. I thought we might have been uh, a bit less, to be honest. But we've got a long way to go. And I think in the next few games we'll be able to sort of sneak our way up and hopefully be 100% within the next few games. Speaking of training a little bit, um, is it easier for a player like yourself coming into uh, the fold with Tom Sermani, considering you've had a little bit of history with him, I think a few months there, uh, and then being able uh, to be under his tutelage uh, with Australia for a little while as well? Is that easier on you as a player, and uh, do you already have expectations, and does he have expectations for you in place? Um, Yeah, well, uh, he was the coach that gave me my debut for the national team, um, so that's pretty special, but uh, obviously I was 17 when that happened, so I was still a pretty young player. Um, he coached me for about a year, and he's one of my favourite coaches in the world. He's, I, I think I learned so much from him in that, that short time that I um, played underneath him in the national team, so there's a massive reason why I wanted to come to Orlando, and um, I just wanted to pick his brains and uh, help myself become a better footballer and um, play in a team that he was coaching again. Well, and on that note also, you're, you're partnered with your fellow Australian, um, Laura Alloway. Um, how has that really helped you just bed in as a, a solid defensive player for a new team that really is pretty well positioned in the defensive uh, lineup? Yeah, um, having another Aussie is, is just amazing. It's, um, it's interesting when you... you play with each other in the national team, you sort of become like a family because you go through so many hard times and so many long trips and um, I've known Loz forever and um, she's one of my best friends and it's just amazing having her um, here but on the field as well, we know each other so well and I I know when she's going to put a ball over or when she's going to do certain things so um, it's nice to sort of have that cohesion already coming into the back line. And interestingly enough, uh, she came within a few inches of being the Pride's first goal scorer on the, the long free kick just before yours. Um, I, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, open practice last night and, and, you know, how the turnout was and what, what you guys thought of, of training in front of those fans and, you know, and, and meeting with them afterwards. And how do you think that projects in terms of uh, the Pride trying to break the uh, NWSL attendance record on Saturday? Yeah, I think um, it says a lot. I think it's really exciting that that was an open practice and we had that many people there. So I think it says a lot for what's going to sort of um, what the numbers are going to be like on Saturday. So uh, the, the fans are incredible. They were cheering the whole time. I feel like it was a bit of a practice for them as much as it was for us in terms of their chance and uh, what they're going to be doing. So, um, no, it was amazing. It, it didn't feel like a normal training. It was just had that buzz about it, and it, everyone was really excited to see everyone there. And getting to meet them um, after the training was, was even better because you can sort of talk to them about how excited they are that we're here, and we can kind of thank them for, for all their support too. Yeah, I mean, the excitement around the, the women's game has really grown a lot over the past couple of years. I mean, I think this year was the it was the first year for FIFA for women to actually grace the cover and, and be in the game. 
And uh, it was pretty cool that you won the the cover vote in Australia for FIFA 16 um, over some of your uh, some of your other Aussies out there. And then also Alex Morgan uh, got that here in North America. Have you guys actually talked to each other about that? Being some of the two of the only players on the Pride uh, in NWSL to actually grace the cover of FIFA, and was that a proud moment for you? <laughs> Yeah, it actually, um, it happened last year when I was at the Storm. So I think it was me, Christine Sinclair, and Alex, and all three of us were on the cover and we were in the same team. So <laughs> that was a pretty cool experience. And um, we did talk about it a fair bit at the time and um, how amazing it was to have girls in the game and on the cover. It was, it was such a massive step forward for women's football. But, um, yeah, it was an, an interesting time for me. It was um, pretty unexpected because... I was going up against Kai Simon and Katrina Gorey, who are um, two of our best sort of attacking players, very well-known players. So um, such an exciting moment and, and something that I can sort of hold on to forever, which is which is amazing. Well, and obviously we're heading into the opening, uh, the home opener against the Houston Dash. Um, who you've been training with the other team members for a while. Who would you say that we should start to watch out for that might be flying a little bit under the radar on the Pride roster? Flying on the radar. Um, well, we've got we've got a lot of players that uh, do amazing things for us that don't get sort of a lot of te- attention, I guess. Um, Maddie Evans started on the weekend, who plays in the middle, and um, I just rate her so highly. She's she's such a workhorse. She'll she'll be running all game and never slow down, and um, she's really calm and composed on the ball, and uh, does a lot of work for us in the mid- midfield there. Um, also, I suppose. Kristen Edmund, uh, Edmonds out wide, she, she's so fast and she was really sort of taking it to Tobin Heath on the weekend and um, I think she's a real uh, fire point for us and she'll probably have a great game on the weekend as well, one to watch out for. Steph, Houston Dash comes into to the Citrus Bowl this weekend and I'm just curious as to whether, you know, like like what the plan is for stopping Carly Lloyd and and, and is it... Is it still too early to sort of game plan a lot for opponents? Are you still trying to work mostly on your own stuff, or or, or has there been a lot of attention paid to the Dash roster? Um, to be honest, we're still working a lot on our stuff, um, especially this week with with the travel. It's been it's been tough, and it's, we've had to have a few light sessions. But um, so far, we've been focusing on ourselves. But I know that we'll be doing some video stuff tomorrow, and we'll be looking at the game we played against the Storms and. Um, definitely looking into Houston as well. We know there's some incredible players and um, obviously one you mentioned in Carly Lloyd is, is one we definitely have to look at and um, we won't be taking lightly. So we'll, we'll definitely look at both us and them. And, you know, considering the, the, the team really in practice, like you said earlier, hasn't hasn't had that opportunity to mesh, but they kind of did in the, the first game against Portland. Do you see them growing more throughout the season? And, and how's the communication in that back line been uh, in practice and, and in that first game? How was the communication for those back four? Yeah, I think it's something um, that we're just going to have to grow game by game. But, um, and, you know, we had a, a few conversations with Tommy before the first game and, he sort of pointed out that our, our most experienced line is our back line and um, it should really be our strongest line. And I think um, the communication was pretty good on the weekend against the Thorns. We, we held them offside a fair few times and um, were really compact and were able to work together quite well despite um, a few sort of slip-ups on transition moments that um, we can definitely fix. But uh, overall, I thought the back line worked quite well together. We've got a lot of international experience back there. So um, lots to improve on, but... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's 
pretty solid back line. Well, and uh, you went home in the NWSL offseason and won a title with Melbourne City. Um, do you see yourself going away after the end of this season, or are you ready for uh, a break? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll be heading back to Australia after this season. Um, I love playing in Melbourne and for Melbourne City. It's my it's my hometown. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely be heading back there. I, I do need a schedule and a break at some stage. I've been sort of back-to-back for the last uh, three or four years. So um, I will head back there, but uh, I've sort of got a bit of planning to do around having kind of squeezing a, a couple of weeks break somewhere. So I'll figure it out. But, yeah, excited to play in Australia after this as well. Well, Steph, uh, before we let you go, I have two questions that are a little bit maybe off the beaten path a little. Um, the first <laughs> the first of those before I let you go is, um, do you have a favorite Australian rules football team? Because that's something that I started watching mm-hmm. on ESPN years ago, and, and uh-huh. I'm just curious as uh, curious as to who you root for. That's really cool. Yeah, I go for St. Kilda. The St. Kilda Saints. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard supporter, and it's pretty hard. I funny, I leave literally when I come to America. I leave kind of the week of the start of the season, and then I come back like after the grand finals <laughs> the whole season but um, I'm still a member and I watch the games when I can on the live stream and follow along so yeah it's pretty awesome alright and the final question is, is do you have a, a do you have a special uh, celebration dance planned for your first goal in the Citrus Bowl <laughs> um, no we don't I'm not I'm not much of a celebrator and I, I really I think I, I've planned one once and I ended up scoring. It was in a semi-final um, in Australia, and I tried to kick the badge on my shirt, and I ended up um, pulling my shirt out too fast, and I couldn't find the badge, and ended up <laughs> kicking the middle of the shirt. So I, I try not to find my celebrations anymore. So, yeah, nothing planned, but hopefully we can score a few. <laughs> All right, Steph Catley, left back for the Orlando Pride, first goal scorer in team history. Thanks so much for joining us on the Mainland Podcast, and, and best of luck to you this season. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you know, it was pretty awesome to get Steph Catley on the on the podcast this week, and we're very, very thankful that she was able to, uh, to make some time in a very busy uh, week, you know, coming home from Portland. They didn't get home until late Monday, I think, and then uh, a couple light days and some training and all the, all the stuff going on about uh, – you know, opening week and, and here at the Citrus Bowl and, and all kinds of events that they're doing. And, you know, they're busy. They're very, very busy people. And uh, she was able to stop by and, and give us a few moments of her time. So we're thankful to Steph Catley and thanks to the Orlando Pride organization for uh, making her available. Oh, guys, we're uh, we're just about done with this podcast, but we've got, uh, we've got a new thing that we're going to do, a new segment uh, called Ask TML. And that's where you can ask us anything, anything that you want to know. It doesn't even have to be soccer related. You might, um, you know, might have a, a question about car insurance or something. I mean, who knows? I don't know what your what your burning questions are, but whatever they are, you can tweet them to us at the mainland and just use the the hashtag #AskTMLPC. That's uh, PCs for podcast. There's already an AskTML hashtag out there, so AskTMLPC on Twitter, or you can write to us at uh, themainland at gmail.com. So uh, we look forward to getting your questions. We have a couple here for this initial segment. 
And uh, the first one comes to us uh, from, well, they're both from Twitter, obviously. Uh, but uh, the first one comes to us from Steve, Steve19. Steve wants to know, why isn't Stajahar playing for OCB? I thought the point of this club is to develop our players. Ridgers is not the future. Um, first of all, let me ask Daniel, what do you think of, uh, of this question? And uh, you know, give Steve an answer. Well, I think just youth, right? I mean, we have OCB is, is to talk to players that may be able or at a pinch be needed on the senior club. Uh, mm-hmm. What is he, 17 right now? Um, so, I mean, just 17 might be a little bit young to be starting in a UCL or USL level whenever we have a team right down the street that can get Edwards uh, some playing time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if by next year he would be starting for OCB. Um, and it may come sooner than that if uh, if OCB keeps hanging up zeros and, and losing every match up until then. But um, right now you have to look at it as a, as a way to get players who, who may be needed on the senior uh, senior team uh, uh, valuable minutes. Yeah, Andrew, is, is, is Ridgers not the future? I don't know. I think you'd have to say he's at least in the running right now. I mean, when Edwards dropped down for that opening game, um, he didn't have the best performance, and I think you've got to give credit to Ridges on playing for a pretty bad OCB team. He's at least kept the score line down, so I, he may be the future. I'm not saying he's definitely going to be the future, but he's you. You've got to give Sturjahar has to have somebody who he can be competitive with all the time. Yeah. I think that you just have to have him watch the game, see the guy's movement, and use somebody who's got a bit of experience rather than just dumping a 17-year-old in. And if I think, not that Mason isn't a great keeper, but we'd probably be in a worse shape if, if that was the case that they had gone down. Uh, I will say, Steve, my answer to you is that I, I do think Ridgers may be part of the future. He's still not a very old keeper. He's had a, a, a pretty, he's you know, he's, he's played for some pretty solid uh uh, in some pretty solid leagues uh, over in the UK, and I think that they're taking a look at him, and this is his opportunity here in MLS to, uh, or actually in USL, to maybe work his way to an MLS contract. I think that he's done very, very well so far, and I think you can see the talent that they see in him, especially if you watch that Wilmington game, um, or excuse me, the uh, the second game, the second home game. He was really, Charleston, mm-hmm. when they were down 10 men, and uh, he kept it at a nil-nil draw, and that was... Uh, that was all him because they were peppering him with shots, and I, I thought that he played fantastic. He, with the exception of the second half against Louisville, um, you know, done a very good job of keeping the other team, uh, if not scoreless, then down to just one goal. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think Ridgers could be a part of the future, but I also think that you know a guy like him that's been around a little while is a, is the perfect person to show Stajahar how to play the game and. And uh, I think that is part of the development is also to have guys that you can learn from. So uh, I think that he's not playing for OCB because he hasn't had to play. I think that Ridgers uh, is showing him the ropes. Uh, you're going to see some spot starts from Edwards, and, and that's what OCB is all about. And, uh, you know, Stajahar is just – he's just starting his journey. He's not hes not ready to step in yet because if he was, they'd be playing him. Yep. So that's my answer. All right. So uh, we have one more question this week. In Ask TML, and uh, this comes to us actually from a former member of the mainland staff, <laughs> John Ray, who wow. was with us. Uh, he's been with us since, uh, or had been with us since um, we were a, a little lowly free WordPress site. And uh, John Ray wants to know: Was was Breck Shea originally signed to be a left back, 
or was Adrian Heath pushed into it by Jurgen Klinsmann and it stuck? It, it was such a weird time in Shea's career. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, oh my, that's a question because, first of all, Shea was really good friends with Paul McDonough. And he credited him a lot with, you know, with his Dallas career, with him making the move to Stoke. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, McDonough liked to bring in people that he was there. I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say that he was probably aware that maybe Bowden didn't have the ability to play left back in Major League Soccer. So he went with a safe bet but hoped that Breck would have been able to fill out the left mid. Um, ultimately, it didn't turn out that way. Breck did a lot at the left, and then we were left with reverse at left mid, which mm-hmm. was really kind of a weak position for us last year and should have generated a few more goals. Um, I'm going to say he was not forced into it by Klinsman. That's just too much of a conspiracy theory for me. Yeah. What about you, uh, Daniel? Uh, I think that he, he was signed with the left back uh, idea uh, and also left mid idea as well. I mean, our our backs get up uh, in the attacking uh, third a lot. I mean, they're swinging those balls in. They make a lot of runs. And, and I think uh, that he saw the ability that Shea would be able to bring in the attacking side from the left back position. Um, and it may not have hurt maybe a phone call from Clemson. It may not have hurt. Yeah, I, I don't think that Adrian was pushed into it by Klinsman either, John, um, to answer your question. I think that, you know, it doesn't matter where people play their players because Jurgen's going to play them wherever the hell he wants to. I think that we've all seen that by now. Oh, you're a good go- oh, you're a good left back? Well, you're going to be a striker. Oh, well, you're a good goalkeeper? Well, you're going to be a defensive mid now. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's I've been beating the Fabian Johnson bandwagon uh, or drum for a while now. It's like, why are you not playing him in his strong position? He's he's good enough to do it, you know, at, at Munch and Gladbach. Why can't he do it for the national team? No, he's um, a right back. That's what he is. He's a right back. <laughs> I just, it just drives me crazy. But I, I don't think, uh, if you've met Adrian Heath, I don't think he's the kind of guy you push into things. Yep. Um, that's, that's the impression that I get from him is that he – he is more liable to push back than he is to say, okay, let me do it your way. I, I think that they saw a good player that was versatile, and they said, we're an expansion team. We would really like to have a good player that's versatile, and let's sign him. And you know, having that previous relationship with Shea, uh, having trained with the team, and, and having that Stoke connection and all of that, I, I think that all, it just all, you know, the planets just all aligned to, to get Breck Shea. And I think he played left wing a lot last year out of necessity, and I don't think that that was the plan. And, um, you know, it, he can play both positions, and he's starting to play left back a lot better. So, uh, no, we I think we all agree he wasn't shoved into it by Klinsman. So, uh, John Ray, former mainland writer, thank you for your question, and, and thanks also to Steve. Uh, thanks. You can, again... Get those questions in. Ask us about anything. Where should you go for your honeymoon? Where you know? Where should you take your wife out for your anniversary dinner? We know everything. All you have to do is ask. Uh, so ask the mainland. Ask TMLPC is your hashtag for that, or or email us at themainland at gmail.com and just put in ask TMLPC in the in the subject line. All right, guys. Only thing left is uh, of course our horrible predictions and our key matchups. Uh, against uh, you know for Orlando City against New York Red Bulls this uh, weekend and uh, you know I think every time that Kyle Lahren has gone to New York he's scored goals and so it would be nice to see him in the starting lineup I think the fact that 
Harrison Heath was sent to OCB speaks to me about the likelihood of Christian Higuita returning. Uh, so let me start with Andrew, your your key matchup against New York Red Bulls and your score prediction. It's hmm, it's going to be pretty tough this one because I think you know we could go and look at New York Red Bulls last season compared to this season, and they're just a completely different team. So. I'm still going to go with people that really kind of played super well against us again last year. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got to take Dax McCarty and Kleshton out of the game. Um, it's going to be a midfield battle, this one. I, we Nobody's really scoring goals right now. We're both in a pointless streak almost. Um, I, I think we're going to have to mark those guys out of the game. And uh, don't be surprised if we don't see many shots on goal. Um Score, since that's the case, I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for Orlando. I think they go up there and nick it, um, whilst the Red Bulls just can't get their story together. All right, Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the the Red Bulls, what, four losses in a row right now is their current form. Uh, even at home, uh, Kyle Aaron's played so good away uh, in yep. New York. I would not I, – I he's going to put something in the back of the net if he's starting – um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando won two to one or three to one. I'm going to say two to one and be conservative because the, the mm-hmm. Red Bulls are playing so bad right now. Felipe looks like the only person on that field. And Dax McCarty, of course, who's never really bad, uh, that actually knows what they're doing. Everyone else just seems disconnected for the Red mm-hmm. Bulls right now. And there's no energy in that club. Uh, I hope that they don't find it this weekend. Uh, and I see Orlando going up there with a Kyle Laren goal uh, and also a Kevin Molino goal who's been playing very, very well as of late. Uh, and, and winning two to one. Wow, Molino Mania is taking hold. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the guy couldn't buy a goal. Now he's like, now, now we're predicting. <laughs> uh, Andrew, Andrew, who scored your goal in the one nil uh, win? Uh, I've got. A, I'm going for Laren. Okay. I think he gets enough separation between Zubar and uh, I I you know what? I don't even remember who's their other center back partner right now. Uh, they've been that <laughs> Neither bad. Do they. Nobody's been yeah. watching their game. They don't. They don't remember either. Maybe they're not. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't playing two center backs. Maybe that's been the problem. Oh, that's a good um, call. Um, well, you know, my thing is that I'm scared to death of teams on a losing streak. I'm scared to death about teams that have won a supporters shield, supporters shield last season, and haven't got it together this year. Suddenly putting it together against Orlando City because last year. Orlando City was not very good against the bottom of the table teams a lot of the time. I mean, all we had to do was look at our record against Philadelphia last year. Uh, I, you know, there was a game not too long ago where Bradley Wright Phillips had ten shots and didn't score a goal. Yeah, ten shots. Now this team has been shut out five times in seven games, but I'm just that kind of contrarian that thinks that's. That's just, it's got to stop sometime, and it's probably going to be against us because we don't want it to be. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of craziness the last couple weeks, especially at the end of game. So I'm going to predict that Orlando City goes into Red Bull Arena and comes away with a point in a 2-2 draw. Uh, Suddenly Bradley Wright Phillips finds the net. Probably something wacky happens like a penalty. And, you know undoes like a lot of good things because last year if you remember even in the game where Orlando City was inexplicably down to 10 men because of Kyle Aaron being sent off for missing Sasha Kleshton by a foot um, with his foot uh, 
even in that game, I think Orlando City played very, very well, um, even after they were down a man. So it, it's, I, I just, I'm, I'm afraid of teams that, you know, they're, he's, they're going to be desperate. They're playing in front of their home fans, and they're going to be bound and determined not to get shut out again. So, I mean, that could go either way. It could either be like a, another five to two win, or it could be, you know, it could be a, you know, a, a scoreline that, that we're not very happy about at the end of the day. But I'm going to say a two, two draw. That's going to be my prediction. I think that Laren does get back on the score sheet once uh, and maybe has a couple other near misses. And I think that the second goal will be the captain. So uh, those are my predictions and you can take none of those to the bank folks. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> so anyway, and I know I, I, before we get out of here though, I, I do want to call attention to uh, a moment on Twitter from the, uh, <laughs> from the other day uh, where I, I tweeted from the mainland account that today I learned Servando Carrasco's hand is growing out of his chest near his shoulder. And our, our sister blog from <laughs> that covers uh, Sporting Kansas City uh, quote tweeted, we were happy it didn't show up during the physical when we traded him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought that was, that was a fun that was a fun tweet from them, and, and uh, I have to give it to them. So uh, anyway, guys, I think we've done about all the damage we can do. Uh, this has been, uh, I think, a little bit of a long podcast, but a good one. We again want to thank Steph Catley of the Orlando Pride, the first ever goal scorer in Pride history. And actually, as we enter the weekend, the only goal scorer in Pride history. Um, but uh, hopefully that will change this weekend uh, with Alex Morgan and company taking on Carly Lloyd and the Houston Dash. And again, OCB on Friday, the Pride on Saturday. That's 7 o'clock Friday for the OCB game. That'll be on YouTube. Uh, Saturday, the uh, Orlando City-Houston Dash game. If you can't go be part of history and part of the largest crowd ever in NWSL, then watch that on YouTube. Uh, Sunday game for Orlando City, I believe, is on FS1. You guys? That is correct. That is correct. Okay. And uh, then again, uh, a Monday at seven o'clock on YouTube for OCB at Harrisburg City. So uh, full weekend here. We've got plenty to talk about next week. Uh, I'm spent. I'm sure you guys are as well. Uh, that'll do it for uh, podcast episode 46. And uh, on behalf of Mainland staff writers, Daniel McGann and Andrew Harrison, I'm Michael Citro, the managing editor of the Mainland saying, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And please leave us some feedback and some uh, and rate us on uh, iTunes. Uh, and uh, in addition to saying all of that, I'm signing off saying, Go City! <laughs>